we are now uh, digitally live. Okay. Digitally, digitally live. live. Okay. This is our first time ever doing this with this uh, analog equipment. We normally do this 100% digital, just like Avatar 2. Yeah. And so we're we're learning on the fly as to how complex it used to be. And this is why you buy converged platforms like Yeti microphones with Skype instead of all this stuff, right? Like this is why you do it. So. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun today, and we're going to learn along the way. So um, let's go ahead and get to the introduction. So this is episode 37 of The Hot Isle, um, and I'm one of your hosts, Brian Carpenter. And I'm Brent Piatti. Yeah, you're with me today. You're right in front of me for once. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And this is awesome. So let's get right to this. I'm excited. Everybody's listening. It's really creepy. They're staring at us. I feel like an animal. There's a sign out there that says, like, don't feed the podcasters. It's cool stuff. So let's let's get to this, right? We're we're live at EMC World, and this show is all about the things that are happening at EMC Dojo, and we're excited to talk about that. So we have a lot of people with us today, but one of the cool things is, it's Cinco de Mayo, so I feel like this whole table here should have like margaritas and yeah. like chips and salsa, but we realized quickly that chips don't go so well with these mics. No, I think it would so pick up every single crunch you did. Yeah. It would just it would be bad news yeah. all around. Yeah, but so what's the excuse for the drinks then? Yeah, great point. Um, Maybe the yeah. ice and the yeah. margaritas. And there you go. Bring yeah. them out. Yeah, so yeah. we're sorry for not having that. So with us today, we have three people, not just three of us. I think this is our first time having uh, multiple guests on. It is. We tried it once before. We failed. We re-recorded, and uh, now we've got three. So we went from one guest to three. It's a learning process along the way. So with us, first of all, there's like 5,000 Brians on this show. I'm Brian Carpenter. We also have Brian Gallagher. Brian, welcome. Thanks. Awesome. Great to be here. It's and awesome. then uh, we have Brian Roche. Yeah. Yeah, we have Brian Thank Roche. Thank you. No drinks, but I'm still happy to be here. And then not next to the microphone yet, but we also have Edith Levine. And so we're going get, to get to your titles really quick as we talk to you, and we're going to kind of step through this. Um, but let's go ahead and start with Brian Gallagher, okay? I think that's good. And so, Brian, uh, you run the EMC Cloud Management Division. True. Actually, we rebranded ourselves to Cloud Platform Team. Okay, we like that. Yep. And are you the? Uh, are you the? Like, did you rebrand yourself as well? Are you the Chief Sultan, or are you the Grand, uh, grand Controller, the or what is your title there? Grand Pooba. Like awesome. It. I like it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, let's let's talk about. This is a fun week in tech history, Brent. Yeah, let's, absolutely. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So we we do a segment every single week called This Week in Tech History, and uh, this week in in May of 1984. Dell Computer Corporations is founded by Michael Dell. So uh, how serendipitous that we're here at EMC World, and it's the 32nd uh, anniversary of Dell, and now it's the new life of Dell Technologies. And uh, Dell Technologies, uh, for those of you that, that haven't been following EMC World, Dell Technologies obviously includes Dell itself, uh, EMC now, RSA, VCE, VMware, and Pivotal. So... Uh, this is pretty pretty big. Uh, apart from just, you know, we have now the biggest tech deal in history going down, $67 billion, and we sit uh, on the anniversary of, of Dell being founded, and, and I'm, I'm excited to how th this thing's going to move forward. So maybe I'll ask each of you individually, what are you most looking forward to as we move forward under this new Dell Technologies moniker and the Dell EMC brand moving forward? Yeah, personally, I think it's very exciting times. I think as you look at the collection of uh, strategically aligned businesses, 
Um, we've got a unique opportunity uh, against anybody out there in the market in terms of helping our enterprise customers uh, on this journey to digital transformation. And when you look at what's happening in the world, we use a lot of different you know, analogies with Uber and Airbnb and all that, but just you know, take a look at you know, uh, banks and telcos and retail and things that they're doing and innovating on. It's just tremendous. And I think EMC um, and Dell Technologies, as we move forward, have the right set of ingredients um, to be able to change the game and, um, and really help our customers differentiate and really bring the power of software and digital transformation to their businesses. The second thing I think I'm excited about, Mike, Michael Dell said it in the, in the keynote on Monday, is that, hey, look, you know, being a private company, you don't have to worry about the 90-day shot clock. And since we're in the, the NBA finals, uh, you know, right now, it, it's an important thing. He said, look, you know, we're going to invest in the long term. You know, we're in this for the long haul. And if you look at the disruption that it's occurring in the market, that you need a long term view. Um, it's not an overnight thing. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of startups, you know, that say, hey, we got the next new thing. Um, there's a barrier to entry in this in this long haul market. And I think, you know, Michael standing up there in front of our customers saying, hey, look, here's where we're going um, and we're going to invest in the long term, um, you know, stay tuned. Um, I think that was a great message. So those two things I think are important to me. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things, and you know, this is a great kind of segue into what we came here to talk about was Pivotal is part of Dell Technologies now, right? So um, we wanted to dig into uh, kind of Pivotal, the fact that they've got this this thing called Pivotal Cloud Foundry. We've been hearing a lot about just Cloud Foundry in general and PaaS. You know, we've had guests on in the past, Andrew Clay Schaefer, James Waters. Um, so we've, we've dug into those things, but... Um, First, real quick, like let's talk about Cloud Foundry. This kind of a one sentencer, what it is and why it's important, and then we'll dig into your world, which is this Cloud Foundry dojo, and specifically the EMC dojo. Yeah, yeah, great question. So, um, Cloud Foundry think as a critical component of all cloud computing architectures, and the benefit that it brings to developers is a layer of abstraction without penalty. Um, that allows them to innovate and increase the velocity of innovation. Um, it abstracts the details of the infrastructure. Uh, they don't have to worry about that. As a developer, it's simply push my app to my cloud. Um, and the power of the platform is it, you know, when we look at dev and ops, is some of the operational characteristics that it brings to the table. A lot of infrastructure automation around high availability and maintenance and you know, load balancing and port redirection, all the things that you got to worry about when you're operating a data center uh, come into it uh, through the platform. So, you know, clearly a strategic area for developers, you know, integrated uh, integration with developer frameworks like Spring, um, you know, bringing the power of uh, innovation to uh, our, you know, our community of customers, you know, enabling them to, you know, go down this journey of digital transformation. And when, we, and when we talk about journeys, Brian, um, from one Brian to another, again, um, uh, you know, as we talk about these journeys, and you've been you've been at EMC for quite a while, uh, so how long? Long time, a uh, little over thirty years. I started right out of preschool, so you know, was yeah, like my <laughs> oh, first job right that's out amazing. of preschool. The labor laws were different back then. Um, so you've been you've seen a lot of change just yourself, right? I mean, there's quite a bit of change not only in EMC but in your career. Um, 
So what do you think now as you've, as you've watched that change and how does that help your purview as you're doing this new thing, which is basically this EMC dojo? Yeah, yeah, great question. So I actually started at a uh, mini computer company before Wang, or before EMC, Wang Labs. You know, so I've gone from mini computer to mainframe to client server and now to cloud computing. And I'd say with this, with every, you know, one of these transformations, there is a technological change. Um, and those have been, you know, large changes in the in the past. The thing about this transformation, it's not just about a technological change; it's about a whole business model change, and that, combined with the technological changes, make it by far the widest chasm um, in order to cross. And you know, when you look at um, you know kind of things that are consistent between client server and cloud computing. Yeah, there's still some commonalities in the technology and things like that. But when you look at the model of cloud computing and DevOps, um, you know, it's really about frictionless access to innovation so that you can innovate at the speed of now and you can bring that disruption to the marketplace through software. And um, you know, that's what we're, we're doing at the dojo. You know, we can dive into a lot of the specifics about that, um, but clearly, um, you know, when you look at the, the chasm to cross, it's a big one. You said innovate at the speed of now, I like that. Is that something you coined? Is that, or is that out there in the ether that someone else I came up with? I might have plagiarized a little bit. I don't know where the source is, but you can quote me if you like. I, I like it, I like it a lot. <laughs> yes, it's by Brian, <laughs> one of them. By Brian, One yes. of them. Let's just so, leave it vague. Yeah, so Brian, the other thing I know about you is that you're a, if I remember correctly, maybe I know it only a kind of sort of, you're a black belt in karate, is it correct? Or is it karate? Yeah. Karate. Yes. Se second degree. Yeah. Second degree black belt, which means twice as much whoop ass as first degree. <laughs> now, is that an order of magnitude every time you get a degree, or is it just like you know a little bit more? You're a little bit better. It it, it gets a lot harder. Okay. And the, and the and the higher you go, the more flaws you see. Yes. In yourself and you know in technique and things like that. So is this is this EMC dojo a real realization of a lifelong dream to have a dojo? And it's just kind of in a different way. Are you using similar thought processes? It, you know, it's funny, it's interesting, but you know, the commonality, and it, and, and, it, and it is a coincidence, but you know, as, as we embarked on this, there is a direct affinity, you know, from myself to that type of concept. Um, but it's daily practice, you know, to get good and to achieve high degree, you've got to practice, practice, practice what you do and continue to refine and refactor you know, your technique, and that's what we do in the dojo. It is daily practice, it's learning by doing. Um, it's not a bunch of theory, um, you know, it is actually daily practice and constant uh, refinement. The other thing that, uh, that a lot of commonality is uh, weekly retrospectives. You know, don't we don't wait until, you know, that cycle in the year where you're doing performance reviews. We do team reviews on a weekly basis and say what worked well, what was okay, and what do we need to do better? And we incorporate that feedback because it's critical, especially in this new world of digital transformation, because if you go and wait, by the time you're ready to you know, kind of uh, incorporate feedback, it's too late, the world's changed. You know, back to innovation at the speed of now, um, you know, uh, 30 days in this world is a lifetime. <laughs> 30 days in the client server world um, is not. You know, when we say, okay, we're going to come out with a re release in 90 days, it's like, awesome. 
right? In this world, 90 days is a, is a lifetime. A lot of things can change in 90 days. So, yeah, a lot of parallels to that. So let's, let's dig into the EMC Dojo. So um, if we take kind of a bit of a step back, though, there's this notion of the Cloud Foundry Foundation, the Cloud Foundry Dojos. Um, it is my understanding that the EMC Dojo is affiliated with that, and you guys are also the first one in the world. So talk to me kind of about that relationship and, and how it came to be and uh, you know why EMC really is so interested in, in this Cloud Foundry and Agile way. Yeah, so um, you know history was the technology started at VMware. Um, that asset moved over upon the creation of Pivotal. Uh, it was cultivated and advanced, and um, Paul Moritz uh, was the the person, the champion to you know open source the project. He got buy-in by a lot of the industry leaders, and then January of 2015, it transferred over to the Linux Foundation as a uh, Linux uh, project, open source project. Uh, it's got its own board, uh, the Cloud Foundry Foundation. John Rose, our CTO, is chairman of that board. Um, and the, the whole idea um, was that since the platform is so compelling, it's actually one of the largest, fastest growing open source communities on the planet. And um, they wanted to be able to accelerate uh, the innovation. So one of the key things was to be able to increase the number of dojos outside of Pivotal. So John came back and said, hey, let's do that. I jumped in and said, absolutely, uh, we're all in. Um, and uh, we invested in that. And it's been a great investment because uh, the platform and what it can do and the affinity of EMC technology to that platform is high. Well, you know, it's interesting. You talk about this investment, and I read an article, um, so you can confirm or deny, but basically EMC's commitment was to do about $10 million in investment into this dojo concept. Um, so where are you today? Um, is that a true statement? Um, and, and what does it take, apart from just money, to spin one of these up? Yeah, so we're, we're down the path on that investment. I, I would like to get to that $10 million, um, But, yeah, we, we, we definitely have invested, uh, you know, quite a bit. Our team now is, we've got about 15 uh, contributors on the team. You know, total team size is about uh, 20 people. We've got most of that team in Cambridge, Massachusetts, the physical location of the dojo. And then uh, we've also got uh, five folks that are uh, in the San Francisco dojo at Pivotal with the Pivotal Labs team and the Pivotal Cloud Foundry team. Cambridge team is also co-located, um, you know, with that, um, Pivotal uh, Labs. with the Pivotal Labs um, uh, in, in, in Cambridge. So great affinity, we get daily you know, kind of advice, um, you know, and feedback and coaching from the Pivotal Labs team. They've been wonderful, Rob Me and, you know, James Waters and Ansi and all the, uh, you know, Pivotal folks have been wonderful helping us get established. Uh, it was a degree of a Vulcan mind melt. Um, there wasn't a lot of <laughs> documentation, um, but I will tell you, they have taken the best of the best software methodologies and put them into daily practice. It's not just agile, it's not just lean, it's not just extreme programming. Um, you know, there's a lot of concepts uh, that are pulled together, uh, continuous integration and deployment, um, you know, and that's what we practice each and every day. Okay. And Great, so, so go ahead. Go ahead. Brian. No. All right, I got it, I'll yeah, take it from here. We're right in front of each other and we're still cutting each other Absolutely. off. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, 
what I'm what I'm hearing is all right, I hear a lot of Pivotal, I hear a lot of VMware, and I hear a lot of V um, um, EMC. So I'm like, okay, are we guiding this thing, or are there other members of this foundation helping to guide uh, you know this great platform that's out there? Uh, the foundation, the Cloud Foundry Foundation, established a technical advisory board uh, comprised of the founding members, uh, which include EMC, VMware, Pivotal. Um, IBM, HP, SAP, a uh, number of others that are part of the uh, technical advisory board. And that's really the steering committee. Um, you know, we'll get into some of the technical details, but EMC has jumped in. Uh, we went from nowhere nine months ago and to number two uh, in terms of contributions to the open source outside of Pivotal. They kind of dominate right now. Uh, but we went from a standing stop to number two in nine months. and. Nobody here sitting at this table likes to be second to anybody. <laughs> uh, so hopefully a year from now when we're sitting here, we'll be uh, number one in terms of contributions. Awesome. Yeah, and so as we, as we speak about these um, contributions, uh, and as a, an amazing executive who probably can give executive overviews like a pro, um, can you give us kind of a, an overall concept of all the things you guys have been doing that got you from, uh, you know, basically to where you are on the list today? Yeah, so step one was, um, you know, kind of um, jump in, develop capability, credibility, and competency. And we, you know, put a big check mark uh, on that. Step number two was kind of smooth out the bumps between uh, platform and infrastructure as a service. Um, this whole 12-factor um, model of modern application uh, development doesn't take into account, you know, state. And we've been leading uh, the, the charge around stateful uh, development. We've got some persistence projects uh, with the open source community as well with the, our uh, Scale.io, EMC Scale.io team. Um, and, you know, so step number two has been to, you know, continue to um, advance EMC technology into this new world to be able to give customers the confidence that they can sleep at night uh, and they're meeting their governance risk and compliance on business continuity and disaster recovery and things like that. So step number two has been to be able to advance EMC uh, technology to bring that value add uh, into this and to make it software deployable. Step number three has been to enhance the platforms, things that uh, Adit can talk about. Um, to widen the net of applications that the platform can address. Not just 12-factor fish, but every fish in the ocean. We want to catch minnows and whales um, and be able to uh, run those workloads, uh, whether it be on-prem or off-prem with an enterprise public cloud like VirtuStream. Um, and then there's continued innovations beyond that. Um, you know, we are just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of what enhancements and capabilities we can bring to bear, whether it's direct integration into the platform or leveraging um, you know, APIs and ecosystems around the platform. And so you mentioned specifically um, you know, EMC and helping, obviously you guys have made a vast amount of change in your business and showing that competency. Um, how is EMC leveraging your competencies to make ourselves better? Um, I, I'd say it this way, the, you know, kind of the new world of digital transformation and DevOps, it's really community-led, um, and it's more of a bottoms-up, and so there's been a lot of grassroots uh, efforts around the uh, company in terms of 
you know, kind of adoption of, of the model and being able to write to the platform. We've had a number of teams that have come in, um, you know, that have done uh, work. Um, you know, they'll do a mini dojo experience, like a two-week exercise in order to kind of learn the DevOps model, learn about the platform, um, and get some code up and running. Um, and be able to walk out and bring that knowledge back to the to to the to their teams uh, within the business uh, units. Um, so a lot of this has been um, you know kind of grassroots. Obviously, John Rose and myself continue to you know promote this around the uh, around the company and to gain additional adoption. Um, some of the open source uh, projects that are very uh, compelling that Adit can talk about is also drawing in a broader community as well. Um, so clearly, I think people are starting to see the merits of the platform, the importance of it, uh, especially to our customers. Um, and when you look at the world going forward, um, it's not just a container-only world. You'll see containers and virtual machines. You'll even see unikernels as the way to package and deploy uh, innovation. Um, Multi-cloud is a requirement. Open source is a requirement. Trying um, to do this all by yourself without a platform is next to impossible for our customers. And when you look at it, the only choice is uh, Cloud Foundry as a platform to help the digital transformation. So my last, my last big question for you um, is, is really, we do this a lot. You know, we like to call it Sushi for Secrets, which is I will gladly take you straight up to Sushi Samba and buy you whatever you want. You're going to give me some secrets that you're not allowed to tell anybody. There's only a couple of listeners. It's just those two guys out there. Right. Nobody will hear this, okay? So just t say it, you know, say it. What's next for EMC Dojo? What do you guys, What uh, you guys have a plan right now, but what's the, that we can kind of sort of see? What are you not telling us and what can't we see? Well, uh, we've started to talk about one of those and Adid will uh, go into further detail about unique, but that is very unique and compelling uh, transformational uh, for customers and developers in the industry. Uh, you'll see more about enterprise data services, and not just traditional data services, but you know, kind of uh, uh, modern uh, uh, data sources uh, that will bring to bear. There's a lot of innovation in the marketplace uh, through open source that we can leverage and add value to that and deploy uh, advanced data services on top of that. And then I think there's a lot of opportunity around the Internet of Things. Um, not just with unikernels, but additional uh, data services and analytic services uh, that we can bring to the platform. Um, also, continual workload optimization and placement. Um, really putting much more intelligence into the platform to help our uh, uh, data center customers or service providers uh, gain the most value out of their clouds. That's awesome. So Brian, um, what do you guys plan to open up another dojo, maybe somewhere else in, in you know, central? I vote area? for Dallas. There yeah. you go. I, I, yeah, great question. Um, you know, typically the model is you create a centralized dojo and you you know, you, you kind of expand from there. Um, but I think um, you know, and that's kind of the uh, model that Rob, me, and the pivotal team has taken. San Francisco as their gravitational center mm -hmm. of the universe. We see that as Cambridge. Um, but there's a lot of opportunities uh, to co-locate around the world uh, with the labs team. I think that brings a lot of value when you have the actual developers that are writing, um, you know, kind of cloud-native application co-located with the platform team. 
Um, we've even rotated some of our developers between Cloud Foundry and Labs, uh, Pivotal Labs, so that they can get that balance. And Pivotal does the same thing as well. Um, because a lot of times a developer may think, you know what, this is painful, but if the platform could do that, then the developer can take that to the platform and, and vice versa. Um, so I do see, you know, Cambridge as being the, you know, kind of gravitational center. I think there's a lot of things that we can do to establish this model uh, to help, um, you know, really create what I call enterprise open source. Um, instead of random acts of open source, which is pretty much what the rest of the industry does, and then they rely on other companies to kind of harden it. Uh, the way in which we do things creates production quality code right out of the chute. You know, so anybody developing on, uh, you know, using Cloud Foundry as their platform, whether it's in the Pivotal distro or in the open source uh, uh, code itself, or whether it's uh, another uh, vendor distro, you can pretty much guarantee that you can sleep at night because this is enterprise open source at its best and it's not by chance it's by design it's how the code is developed and you know so really we see ourselves as kind of leading that charge around enterprise open source so if we look at the the EMC dojo specifically is it all comprised of EMC and pivotal folks and VMware or do individuals come to you to help go through this process or do companies or organizations come to you like how, how do you get involved? Yeah, so we have in Cambridge and you know, likewise there's a lot of um, uh, synergies with uh, San Francisco, but customers come in. We've got EMC Global Services uh, that come in. We've got other you know, BU members. So we get, a, and, and meetups as well, right? We have a lot of meetups, I think, between Pivotal and EMC. We've co-sponsored 29 meetups in the past nine months at the uh, dojo in Cambridge. So, you know, there's a lot of incoming traffic uh, into the dojo. One of the first questions we hear from customers, and I heard it all here at EMC World this week, was, hey, I know I need to do a DevOps model, how do I start? And we have, you know, by example, our own team, you know, that has embarked on a DevOps model. We know how to do it. Um, you know, we've learned that, you know, through the Pivotal team, um, and we can provide a lot of guidance to our customers how to start, you know, kind of the first step in starting. You know, I always go back to the matrix and, you know, load the jump program where Neo and Morpheus are in the top of the building, and Morpheus says to Neo, you gotta free your mind, right, in order to jump, and you really do. You had to let go of everything you knew before, right, throw that all away because it's not relevant in this new world. So step one, free your mind. Step two, jump in. Step three, don't look back. Step four, learn by doing. Don't try to overcomplicate it and do all these big plans. Just jump in and go, learn by doing. Get a couple pairs trained up and then it's a binary, you know, exponential equation after that. Pairs train pairs train pairs and soon enough you got hundreds to thousands of developers that know this way. Yeah, and I'm gonna do something I do very well which is talk about myself. And uh, actually, this week in my presentation, I used the red pill, blue pill uh, to talk about the idea of the, the blue pill being the purest approach, where if you, you, know, you want to believe that things are blissful and you just keep going the way you want to go, great, take your blue pill. Uh, but those of us who need something a bit more pragmatic and want to look at IT in a much more pragmatic way, take that red pill and start looking at the impact of open source on your business and what you want to do. So it's, uh, it's, we haven't talked to each other, and frankly, uh, maybe a year even, and we, you know, we're both using, uh, you know, 
matrix jokes. So great minds think alike. Yeah, <laughs> I learned from the best. I think is what it is. You should have said you trained me to think like this. Yeah, uh, I, I can't take credit. Yeah, we we uh, we can't thank you enough, Brian. Thank what, you. We, what we want to do now is move over to somebody else so that I can uh, mangle her name at least fifty times in the next twenty minutes or so. Um, so so with us now, uh, and help me here. Let me. You, how about this? Why don't you tell us what your name is? So my name is Edith. So my name is Edith Levine. Awesome, Edith. Did I do, how, how am I doing? Is, yeah, is Edith bad. good? Yeah, not bad. Fantastic. Yeah. The last thing I want to do is call you the wrong name for 20 <laughs> minutes. So uh, Brian gave you a, a huge introduction. Um, let's talk about what you're doing. What is it, like, foremost on your mind, what is it that you're working on today? Like, what's, what's number one? The technology. Yes. Um, so, so what I'm basically focusing is on innovation. Um, so besides of doing a lot of a project that are very, very safe, like uh, persistent and other, uh, we also looking at kind of like a, a project that are more like crazy and could be successful, but could fail. So we're taking a chance here. And uh, so we have two projects that uh, we're using. One of them is uh, Unikernel, it's Project Unique. And uh, we just open source it. And, and it actually went really, really well. The community, it's like 24 hours for open source and we already have a, a lot of like over 60 likes and stars on the GitHub, Reddit, uh, thumbs up and so on. So it's going very, very well, a lot of tweets. Um, so that's one of the project which, um, and the other one it's called ARX. It's another project that we worked on. Uh, and um, and, and it, it's more, so if Unicornal is really, really new and it's talking about the next generation after Docker and after, you know, it's very, very innovative. Alerix is more basically trying to help um, all this ecosystem about the containers, uh, cluster management to be united and be able to run next to each other, so. That's awesome, and so, uh, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned it, the, the product is called Unique and it is, right. uh, it's unique, mm -hmm. uh, and it's around Unikernels. Um, and matter of fact, it's got like a little unicorn logo, which I thought was neat. But you know, there, there's this other unicorn out there uh, called containers, and specifically one container unicorn called Docker. And everybody's you know very obviously very enamored with it. Mm -hmm. So you know, explain to us, you know, like explain to me, like I'm five because I'm not all that brilliant. Um, uh, what is the difference between the container experience versus this thing you're calling uni unikernels? So the experience itself, actually, the project unique will be the same, right? You're still going to package your application in a very, very easy way and deploy it. The, the difference between it is the stack itself. So when you're looking at the stack of the container, you will have, you know, there is the hardware. It's always downstairs, right? And then there is on top of it the hypervisor usually people using. Or the on top of it, you're putting the, the virtual drivers. On top of it, you're putting the operating system. On top of it, you have the OS, you know, the, the user processes. And then on top of that, you're putting usually the Docker container. Um, and, and the idea with the Docker container is that it's packaging all your libraries and all your application and give you a very easy way to deploy that. Uh, what Unikernel is doing, it's basically reinvent all the stack. There is a lot of unneeded stuff in the stack, like for instance, the drivers in operating system that we are not using, like floppy disk and uh, USB when you're running in the cloud, you can't even go to the machine, but you still have a lot of drivers that are necessary. And so, so basically what we're doing, we basically assess again all those stack, and we're saying, what do we really need in order to run this application? And we discover that it's quite not a lot. And if you're looking at 
for instance, the Linux kernel, you will discover that the probably around 22 million lines of code. If you're looking at the Debian distro, it's around, I think, 250 or something like that, millions of code. And we're talking about Unicorn, we can talk in right now about like case, like a thousand. So it's make the stack much more uh, uh, small, uh, much more, uh, it, it's easy to reason about. It's, uh, it's very, very um, easy to, um, uh, uh, to boot. The boot time will be very easy because there is a, a less, uh, less, um, less um, a line of code to boot on. And the other thing is that it's also very secure because we took a lot of the, of the stuff from this stack. So now the surface of attack is very, very small. So it's secure. It's booting fast, and it's also very, very a uh, small footprint because there's not a lot of flying there. Um, so it just will give you everything you need in order to run a safe application in the cloud in a very efficient way. Very cool. So you, you, like you said, a, a unikernel, small footprint, less overhead, smaller tax service, and just fast, right? So mm -hmm. it's as lightweight as, as possible. Um, is, and, and, and really there's no pun intended, but is every unikernel unique? to the application or um, do you can you make something that works across a multitude of different applications? So actually you will don't want to do that. And the reason you don't want to do it because the secret sauce here is that you want a custom surface of attack, right? You want it to be secure. Uh, if we basically make it a model that every you know that it's always the same, it's kind of like make all that people can actually penetrate to the operating system. So we don't want to do that. So it's actually I think one of the of the strongest point of Unicano, that it's very, very unique. Okay, cool. So, um, you know, I heard th th this ability, uh, in, in essence, to eliminate like an operating system. What does that mean moving forward? Can can Unikernels work with kind of the traditional things that we, we know and play with, or is it kind of focused more in the IoT space, small sensors, like, where do you see this fitting in? So I think that the, the easy uh, way to argue that for me when I'm talking about Unicamera is to say, look, no one will argue that it's a perfect fit for Internet of Things. So I think this is where it will start because I really, really think that this is like, you know, there's all the advantage and all the quality to actually be the perfect, uh, the perf perfect candidate for that. So I think that will happen. Now the question if it will happen in the cloud. I, I personally believe so. Um, it's new and it's fresh and it's immature, exactly like Docker was like two years ago. And therefore, they're going to be the ecosystem need to develop some tools. I think that Unique gave it a huge bump, you know, forward. So I think that we make it so easy and so usable. But you know, you cannot SSH, for instance, for Unikernel, right? Because that's all the point. Uh, that means that you will need to be more creative. But I mean, we are, you know, we are supporting logged in Unikernel. We, we we can make this together and something very special that can be very useful in the cloud as well. Awesome. So let's get into Unique, right? We've talked about Unikernels, kind of have a good understanding of uh, you know what it is and why it's important. So what does Unique do, um, and why did you develop it? So what we realize is that um, when I'm looking at the architecture, this Unikernel is the right architecture. So I was wondering why people didn't adopt it because other people see what I see. And what I understood is that Unikernel has the same problem that Linux container had before Docker make it very, very easy to use. So I said to myself, why can't we make it easier to use? So this was the motivation. And uh, that's basically what is Unique is. Unique is a very, very um, simple to use tool, we think in Go language. And you can just um, build Unikernel, point it to your, your application code, 
and we wrap it and we basically compile you a specific Unicamel for you. And then after it, you can also run it whenever you want. So we'll be supporting a lot, a lot of providers already out of the box. But I think the cool thing about what we did about Unique is the fact that we make it not opinionated. Uh, so we didn't choose a Unicamel type to uh, to, run, uh, to build, and we didn't choose a, a provider to run on. What we did, we basically make it very pluggable. So we were inspired by the Kubernetes architecture, and uh, so it's all very, very interface-like, um, uh, very easy to use. So today, if you want to add a new provider or a new user, you, um, you just need to implement a few functions and you're good. So, so okay. I think that's the power. So how do, how do people interact with it? So we have a GitHub, and, and the community already knows about that. And there is a very good uh, quick start. So you can actually just you know, follow the, the, the tutorial and to be very, very useful. And just install it on your machine, start running it. You can run it locally on your machine because we're supporting VirtualBox. We're going to support KVM very soon, so you will be able to do that on your machine with KVM as well. And besides that, we, you can run it in AWS, you can run it on the XSI, you can run it on vSphere, you can run it on in a, a Futon. So we're basically supporting all of that already. Okay, very cool. So you've talked about some of the integrations, the Photons, the, the vSphere's. Um, you've got other integrations, so the Cloud Foundries, the Kubernetes, the Dockers. Mm -hmm. um, what's the ecosystem like, and, and maybe what's the, what's the next thing that you're focused on for integration? So I think that I'm a big believer that we should work with the community. Um, you know, we sh it's very hard to bring innovation and tell them everything that you did until now is wrong and just do it our way. So it's very important to basically be uh, sensitive to what is out there. So um, the first thing that we did is basically did a Docker integration. And the reason we did it is because we understand that the community really, really like the API of Docker. So there's no point to just tell them, you know, don't do that anymore, use a new one. So what we did, we basically teach Unique how to speak Docker API. So today you can run as regular commands like uh, Docker Run and Docker PS, and, and you can just point at it and target it to a Unique daemon, and it's just going to work because we will translate it to Unique for you. So that's the first integration that we did, and I feel that uh, it, will, it will make that very, very easier to adopt because people already know Docker. So that's the first thing that we did. The second thing that we did, Unique itself is like Docker, which means that it's very good in compiling and in running, but it's not going to save the state. Which means if user want to run three instances of Unikernel, it needs some cluster management to make sure that those those um, 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 Unikernel will be always alive. Um, and and that's where the cluster management is uh, coming into play. So we chose Kubernetes because we a, a big fan, and second of all, I think it's uh, you know we should. We should support everything. Uh, we started with Kubernetes, and basically what we did there is uh, is uh, we just uh, created a backend for um, for a Unicorn. So before that, it was uh, using uh, supporting Docker and Rocket, and today is also supporting Unique, which basically Unikernel. So you can run that, and then if you lose one of them, Kubernetes will make sure to bring it back. So you are always going to have three. Um, so that's a, we also leveraging, of course, the networking uh, structure and so on that, that Kubernetes is giving us out of the box. So that's the next thing that we did. But we feel that this is not enough for the user because people like platform as a service. Cloud Foundry is by far the best one out there. So we have to integrate that with there. So what we did with that is we basically created um, backend for Cloud Foundry. 
that supported Unix. So today you can run container with, uh, with Cloud Foundry. And with a little flag right now, you can also run Unikernel. So the same application can run either in container or in Unikernel. Um, and, and you can leverage all the platform services like uh, the build pack to compile your code. That would be unique compile your code, but basically we created a unique back, uh, build pack. You can uh, leverage all the services. So again, platform is also a cluster management and therefore it's also make sure that uh, the state of uh, uh, of the, the Unicorn will be always alive. So we're basically leveraging everything that they already uh, gave us, and we just, now you can do the same thing with Unicorn and get efficiency. Okay, so uh, great great kind of lineage of, of the product. And, and Ida, I guess I should ask, like, um, obviously you're very passionate and knowledgeable about this. Is this, was this your brainchild, or is this something you got brought into? No, no, that's actually was my idea. Okay, awesome. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that the credit was, was given where it was due, because uh, you obviously sound uh, like you know what you're talking about, so very cool. Mm -hmm. um, so the adoption has been uh, good, it sounds like, from the community. Uh, they've been helping out. What, uh, what are some use cases, right? We've been talking maybe a little bit abstract, but how do people actually leverage and use this? And what have you seen in terms of use cases that, that uh, has really kind of like struck people's imagination and thinking about how they can use unique and unikernels moving forward. Yeah, so I just want to say first that unikernel, of course, is not my idea. We have a community to running and unique will not be available without that, right? We leverage a lot of the, co the awesome community of the unikernel. Uh, so, so that's one thing. Um, so, so in terms of a uh, use case, um, the use case that we're doing, that, that we're seeing for it, as I said, Internet of Things, it will be like very, very easy to do. And, uh, and that because we had this vision of, look, this is, will be a perfect fit, we actually were the first people to actually run Unikernel, RAM kernel on, uh, on Raspberry Pi. And we worked very hard on it because we felt that it's very, very important to, sh to, to show the vision. We want people to buy into visions. Therefore, so one of the things that we did is, um, is uh, actually we had a very nice demo of we pushing Unikernel to a Raspberry Pi, and the Raspberry Pi is basically talking to a toaster and make a toast for us. So that's the idea of basically showing, um, you know, what is the potential, and um, and and I think that uh, I mean I, I really we we will contribute this code as well to RAM kernel. We didn't do that yet, but we will, um, and uh, and I think that that's will position. The, the demo was the Internet of Toasters. So the new IoT. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll pass that on to the, uh, the uh, IoT guys over at uh, Dell Technologies as a whole that we've been talking to recently to get that as part of the strategy, right? And, um, so, and that's fantastic, by the way. I have, a, I have an army of Raspberry Pis at home that at one time I tried to compile Scale.io on because they had ARM in the documentation. Um, and they, then I, I got in trouble because uh, I wasn't a, 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 a massive service provider that they compiled it for, and they're like, don't do that, Brian. So I followed their instructions, I, regrettably. I like it, though. I'm excited because now I have 10 Raspberry Pis that I can go home right now and go play with Unique on. Uh, I'll have no idea what I'm doing, but I can you still You can make say 10 I, pieces of toast, though. 10 toasts at once, and this yeah. is all making me hungry. I really feel like we should have made a challenge during the podcast if we'd have done it hard, made it harder is to actually, while she's t explaining it to us, have her make us some toast so that we can actually... Unique is making the toast, not yes. me, so it's even <laughs> yeah. coolest, right? Have her make yeah. Unique make us the toast, sorry. Um, but so there's some other things, right? We have like uh, some of the audience out here. Um, I noticed a Mesosphere sticker out here. 
Um, so do you guys, what about, do you guys have plans for, uh, is, does, is this something we could uh, use inside of DCOS as well? So actually DCOS, it's not going to work, right? Okay. Because the way, the way Mesos is working, all the idea is to build, to basically, you know, pack container on the same host. Unikernel is a VM or you can run it on a bare metal. Therefore, it's actually, it does not make sense to do it in Mesosphere. Fascinating. Yeah. That's, uh, it's, I was, you know, I'm curious why there are certain paths, why things follow down. And the other half of that was, uh, as Brent and I stalked uh, all the information we could about you guys, we do this, this is what we do. Um, we, we actually watched some of your presentation and got some of the slides. Um, in there, you talk about unique not being opinionated, yet, we talk a lot about the idea of an opinionated type experience such as Pivotal Cloud Foundry, um, and yet you're saying unique in itself is not opinionated. So explain to me why it's okay for unique to not be opinionated, yet people in general we feel like should be consuming opinionated type platforms. So if you think about unique, it's very low level, right? It's basically taking your application and packaging it. It's a packaging tool, and eventually you have that, right? But that's fine not to be uh, opinionated because you're basically just packaging application. Docker is not opinionated, right? Well, what is important is that the layer above will be opinionated. So that's why we basically integrated Cloud Foundry, which is, is opinionated. And it will work with Unique, which is not opinionated. We'll hide is not opinionated. It's basically, we'll make the decision for Unique, right? Uh, so, so Unique itself, I think this is the power of not being, I think this is the power of Unique because that will give us uh, basically con control of all the ecosystem uh, that they will be able to run what they, what they really want. And we don't want it to detect that. So That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So one of the other things you mentioned, we first heard about unikernels, the concept of unikernels themselves, um, from Andrew Clay Schaefer a while back. Um, and we had no idea what it was, so we just kind of wrote it in our notes of something we'll look up eventually. Um, but here you are. And you talk about this ecosystem of unikernels. Um, I, I, the, only, the only thing I know about it is that it's a concept. So t teach us about the ecosystem of the unikernel itself. Tell us about the providers, uh, who's doing what, what's unique about those things. Yeah, so, so um, Zen Project created a few, uh, um, there, there was a lot of projects that created in, inside the, the community. Um, Docker just uh, recently acquired a company called Un uh, Unicorn System. There's a company in Cambridge, UK. And uh, they basically was one of the leader of this community. Uh, they created a unikernel called Mirage OS, but now they're working a lot with another unikernel called RAM kernel. Um, besides that, there is a lot of individual companies that are creating uh, unikernel. So as I said, RAM kernel, for my opinion, it is the best uh, project uh, of, of, of unikernel. It's uh, based on the on a, on a free BSD. Uh, and I feel that they're, they're doing it right. It's very clean and uh, and, and minimal. Um, so that so that's around kernel. So so the other popular one there is a company in Israel called uh, Claudius. And what com this company is doing, uh, they created something a project called um, um, OS3, which is um, it, again it's a unikernel that it's POSIX compliance, which means that you can run a process. What beautiful about that that you can also run Java, which is the other unikernel I have trouble to do today. So, so we also support that, of course. So there is like, this is the three that are main. There is a lot, like if you will go to the website, you will see there is like a, quite a lot. There is a Go um, a unikernel that uh, 
project that they're trying to do. There is a lot, uh, a lot of projects out there. Was one of those companies you mentioned the one that actually makes OSV? I saw on your yeah, okay. Cloudius system. Cloudius. Yeah. Okay, so I have, a, I have a, a, a deeper curiosity about that one. It seems to be the only one that doesn't force you to have like a singular experience inside the Unikernel. Like you've mentioned Unikernels being kind of a, a relationship of one package to one application for the simplification. And yet everybody goes, there's an asterisk on the side and it says, accept OSV. Um, so is there a reason why OSV has done that? Is there any value in your opinion? Uh, you know, it's, it's all a trade-off, right? I mean, uh, their Unicorn is a little bit, uh, um, it's including more stuff, so it's letting them to do more stuff. But then it's it's it's, it's you know it's 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 less. So it's it's yeah. heavier. Yeah. It's possibly slower. Possibly, uh, we don't know for sure. But yeah. and then the other thing is, is it possibly less secure because of that nature? So I, I mean, you know, to be fair, we don't know, right? There's not a lot of uh, of, uh, uh, but 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 potentially yes. Okay. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, well, I know uh, it's getting close to the point where if we keep talking you're not going to be able to talk to the hundreds of customers upstairs waiting for you. Yeah. Uh, so we really appreciate your time. We do have one tiny last question. You meet a, you're walking down the hallway, You'll, it'll happen to you right now. You meet a, a CIO or a, a, a management level type person and, and they're like, I need you to explain to me why this unikernels thing is important in my business, right? I'm already, I already see VMs, I already see containers, I see this. Explain to me, to my business, why I should add yet another thing to my tool chest, or even possibly remove something, because I've only got so many slots on my belt. Do you have something where you could teach me in a short period of time why? Yeah, I will say that the advantage of Unikernel is, is the maturity of the of a, of a VM, right? Because at the end of the day, it's a VM. But it, the security and the performance the security, very, very good. And also the performance of containers. So it's basically the best of all world. Um, so what I will say is that it's very, very secure. It's a small footprint. So it's will, you know, you don't have, you will not pay for stuff that you don't need. And uh, that also that you still get the maturity of VM. So you don't need to change much stuff. You don't need a new hypervisor. You don't need to, you know, it's just going to work out of the box. So I think this is a, an attractive offer. That's awesome. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna, for the listeners, don't run away. We're going to say a quick goodbye to a couple of the guests. But then, I don't, Brian, are you able to stay? Brian Gallagher? Uh, a couple more minutes. Okay. Um, so, uh, but Adit, I know you've got to go present. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, guys. <laughs> Bye. So, uh, a little bit of silence here. Brent, uh, man, that was, that was amazing information, wasn't it? It was a lot. It, you know, I, I, I heard the term. I researched it. I don't know enough about it to be uh, in, in any way, shape, or form dangerous. Well, maybe I am just dangerous because I'm just really daft at it. But uh, it's interesting to hear about. And, and I'm actually curious to continue to learn more and see how it can be leveraged in your traditional enterprise. Yeah, I'd, I'd uh, you know, add that, you know, this, when you look at Unikernels and, and Project Unique, you know, clearly the uh, next generation of container technology, and as Adit mentioned, you know, you get the uh, all the benefits of the hypervisor. You get the performance of the container. You have smaller surface area for uh, security attacks, and it's much more efficient. And we also believe that the combination of unikernels on a micro VM architecture like VirtuStream is a win-win combination. Much, much better security, much better uh, efficiency in that uh, IaaS environment. 
So, um, there, you know, there was this, this discussion. I think I heard Photon come up. Was a fo- Can the Photon controller interact with uh, a unikernel? Yeah, so that was the, um, I think, the second integration, second or third integration that they did in terms of target. Uh, I think ESXi was the first, um, and then they moved on to uh, the Photon platform. So it'll, it'll leverage the, the platform. A lot, we get a lot of questions about what about Photon OS? And, um, you know, essentially the Unikernel uh, provides the OS services that the application needs and that's it, right? So the whole concept is if you need specific services out of the OS, you only compile those services in along with your application, you know, not carrying the whole operating system in, which increases the footprint and, and the surface area. So I've got to see a diagram. I'd love to see a diagram of, all right, you've got unikernels, you have containers, you have VMs, and then you have Cloud Foundry, and then you have ESXi and all these things. Like, I'd, I'd love to see how they work and interact. Um, is that somewhere at all? Yeah, actually, in Adit's uh, session that she did uh, the other day on Unikernel, she'll, she'll show you that stack. Uh, here it comes right now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you got to love uh, having a live crowd because it's absolutely. like it's almost like having a crowdsourced research. Um, but what's funny is since this is not a visual medium, uh, what I will say as far as uh, Adit's presentation is I know for a fact um, virtual EMC World will launch sometime late next week or within roughly 10 days. By, well, this will come out next Tuesday, so within roughly seven days of next, when you hear this, um, the her presentation will most likely be out there yep. uh, in PDF form as long as you guys don't tell anybody not to do it. Right. Um, no, so. no, actually, she spoke at the Linux uh, Collaboration Summit uh, about a month ago, you know, about uh, Project Unique and Unikernels. Very well received, a lot of great feedback. Um, you know, the community's uh, been engaged, there's a lot of buzz you know, going on around the, the industry. And I, I would expect that to get a lot of attention as well. Awesome, well I know you've got things to do too, so we'll go ahead and let you go. Brian Gallagher, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, always a pleasure. It's always nice to see you. Hopefully Absolutely. I'll get to see you in a couple of hours or something and we can hang out. So All right, I'll be around. It's always great. Okay, thanks guys. Thanks Brian. Thanks Brian. So we're gonna, I, I, I was gonna Brian. say actually. For, other Brian, you know, let's do The this. other Brian, yeah, yeah. For further information, we have a dojo blog, um, and you know we have a, had a booth here. I know you've been there, you visited us, and um, you know people are asking for more information. Uh, you know, engage with us on the blog. We're tweeting all the time. We're talking about this stuff. We want people to have the information so they can can take this and make it useful. Um, so definitely, dojoblog.emc.com. Please please check in with us and follow us on Twitter. Awesome. And uh, it's amazing. I don't know how you guys are tweeting during the podcast. <laughs> you must have like just omnipresence. It's awesome. So you're, you're killing me here with all this information. So let's, I mean, you know, Brian teed this thing up and showed us the big picture of, of creating this dojo and getting in there and practicing every day and doing this stuff. We've seen some of these other things, uh, but frankly, we have you to thank for causing this podcast to actually happen. Um, and so, I, you know, what we're going to do is have Brian reach out to somebody, Brian Gallagher. He's going to tell somebody to send us all uh, hoodies and T-shirts and things so that we yeah. feel well swagged. Yep, medium husky. But okay. <laughs> Nice. But what, what I need you to do is tell me, you know, what else is going on, right? We've heard about Unique. Uh, we've heard about all these other things. But, dude, I've been hearing a lot of the stuff you guys are doing. We, talk, we mentioned VirtuStream. 
Uh, we mentioned uh, kind of the things that you guys are doing inside of Cloud Foundry yep. from the open source perspective. Um, so let's talk about this uh, non-random acts of open source. Okay. Well, I think you know, Adit certainly covered a lot of the uh, innovative stuff that we are doing and the advanced development things that we're doing. Um, but I will tell you that you know, in being here, you asked a question at the beginning of this podcast, right? What are you excited about? And uh, I would say that there's, there's two things I'm most excited about. The opportunity to meet with customers and hear about what they're doing, right? Because technology is useless unless it's bringing business value to customers. And so to meet with them and to share some of our perspectives on technology and to align to give us that you know, feedback that we're on the right track and to know that we're you know, solving their problems. Second is best of breed technology. So platforms as service, Cloud Foundry. I think that it's really resonating with customers. They recognize the secular shift that's at play within our industry. They recognize the need to change, that workloads are going you know, off-prem to the cloud. Okay, and they're, they're, they're seeking that, you know, when you, look at, when you look in their eyes, they've got that look of desperation, right? This is a mission-critical business for me, right? I need to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm hosting on a platform that I can trust that is resilient. Um, and that's what Cloud Foundry brings to the table. So I'm most excited about the contributions that we've made to Cloud Foundry uh, over the past 12 months. Brian talked about our contributions, the, the gross numbers. And maybe I can tell you a little bit about, um, you know, what we've contributed uh, in the dojo. So we, we talked a little bit about, uh, so we came into existence about 12 months ago, okay, when we, when we uh, brought the team on board. Our goal was to open a Cloud Foundry dojo uh, on the East and West Coast and contribute to open source Cloud Foundry. Second goal was to underpin that with best of breed methodology. So to take the lean startup and transform ourselves to be a pure uh, DevOps team. Now we talked about the improvement, you know, the sort of the intersection between IaaS and PaaS and improving that. So you saw some of the announcements this week with PCF and VirtuStream. So our team, the Cloud Platform team and the Dojo, worked with the VirtuStream team to enable that to happen. We also focused on, um, you know, the persistence problem with uh, Cloud Foundry. So focused on, um, first of all, the RackHD CPI, okay, that we did. Now we're moving into uh, Scale.io for persistence. Well, you, no, so you're talking about um, the rack, first of all, the VirtuStream thing, if we just stop real quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, was there a, was there, uh, maybe if you were close enough to that specific part, yep. was there like a, a lesson or something pretty cool about that integration that really uh, taught us some things about what the dojo is doing? There was actually, yeah, so you know, if you, if you look at many of the methodologies that exist, right, so a lot of people still employ the waterfall methodology, right, and, and, and Drew Dimming and, and Taiichi Ono, the godfather of uh, the lean production system, said, you know, what's wrong with this picture is that the customer's not at the heart of this, right? How can we, we don't get validation until very late in the cycle. So when we, um, you know, sort of embarked on how do we enable PCF and VirtuStream, the first question was, this could be a multi-quarter project. How can we chunk this up into an MVP where we can get immediate feedback that we're on the right track? So we boiled down the goal and said, we can stand up an orthogonal environment based on vSphere. We can take PCF and, and all the benefits that PCF provides us today in terms of multi-tenancy. And we can stand that up in the environment. And then we can create a tile within the Xtreme UI 
And we can see if anybody clicks that tile. But that's not going to, you know, if you, if you apply a pure DevOps approach, you would automate all of that, right? In, in the DevOps, you know, culture and world, we automate everything. So we've got more time for air guitar and ping pong and whatever else, right? Um, but we said, well, you know, what's going to happen is we're going to kick off an email to an operations person, and that operations person is going to manually provision an organization in PCF, and PCF will take over. Now, the result of that was we were able to immediately connect with customers. Within a week, we were able to put a tile in the VirtuStream uh, environment and, and that customers click on, and then within about 45 minutes after we provisioned the organization, they could PCF, they could CF push their applications. Okay, And what that means is we get immediate validation that we're on the right track. We form relationships with our customers. And we can employ a concept that we call, from Lean Startup, innovation accounting. So when you, when you start off you know, two of these innovation projects, right? You know, how, do you, how do you know that each of these innovation projects are making um, progress? Well, you can employ an approach called innovation accounting, where we can get real customer data, qualitative and quantitative metrics, on the progress that we were making. Where did we pivot? Where did we pers persevere? Where did we get you know, real feedback that we're on the right track? And so that's what that enabled. And so at the heart of everything we do is the customer. Okay? And that's why this week for me has been so important, because we get to hear how we are affecting the customer and how we are moving the needle on, on their needs. And so um, as, as part of that, right? you mentioned, just real quickly, you mentioned an email. So is, but the email is not part of the operations process. That was just a separate thing, or was that actually part of the uh, the tactical operations process? Yeah. So that was the the first step, right? So we wanted to boil down this into the the smallest possible chunk we could deliver, okay. right? So naturally, you know, if you were to go automate everything away, right, we may implement technical debt, right? So anything that you've implemented that you haven't delivered and put in the hands of the customer and validated that it met their requirements is potentially unvalidated you know, work and waste, right? So what we wanted to do is say, well, let's not do the automation. We know we need to, right? Let's, when someone clicks the tile, let's send an email to an ops person, and they'll run some scripts and do some manual, there'll be some manual intervention, and they'll do some work to make it happen. Um, now, yes, we have now established a multi-quarter roadmap based on customer feedback, right? Building in small iterations and getting uh, you know, regular feedback from customers. And, and by the way, this looks like a day, right? We're not, we're not you know, building, measuring, learning in, in, in the order of weeks, right? In, in our new world and in what we do in the dojo, um, unlike a waterfall project, we don't measure results in weeks, months, quarters, and sometimes even years. We measure results in days, hours, minutes. Oh, that's awesome. Sorry uh, about that, Brent. I okay. muted you because you were being was noisy. I, was I breathing heavy? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was excited. This unicorn stuff, it just really got me going. But um, no, so uh, I, I heard the comment, uh, I think, from uh, Mr. Gallagher earlier, was like, look, we put out enterprise grade class code. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of if you look at a, a tenant of, 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 of DevOps, it's like this concept of, of minimum viable product mm -hmm. first, right? And then, so how does how does... How do you wrestle with, with both of those things in your world, right? I need to make sure this is enterprise class, it's hardened, but in practice in DevOps, it's minimum viable product, and then you iterate on that. So walk us through that. 
That's a great question. When I, you know, when I first started talking about the lean startup um, and, and you know, DevOps, there is tremendous amount of confusion, right? There's a lot of overloaded terms. Um, even in my, my talk this week, which uh, I really appreciate everybody, you know, showing up and all the support and, and, and tremendous amount of interest. Uh, you know, I've tried to describe the, the concepts that we've adopted in the dojo. So, you know, let's, let's break it down a little bit. So over the, you know, over the past 12 years, I've been at EMC. I started as a software engineer, and I've been fortunate enough to lead many different engineering teams. On each of those engineering teams, I've strived to implement lean strategies for software development. But 12 months ago, you know, I had had varying degrees of success, right, until I bar embarked on this new journey 12 months ago. And, you know, to Brian's point, you, you dive in, you learn by doing, right, and you adapt your process over time. You know, we talked about documentation for the technical stuff. Why do we not have, why do we not document DevOps? Why do we, you know, why do we not sort of um, have this training program? Because it's a way of working, it's a way of life, right? So, sorry, you were gonna ask me? No. No. Um, no, I muted myself and because I was getting all excited like Brent was. Well, I thought you were going to mute me. No, yeah. that's me. I'm number one there. <laughs> Brian's yeah. always looking for this the mute button. Yeah, well, again, well, it's time for me The problem is we've given him uh, control over the mute buttons, and he has a bit of a control issue. So now here we are. He's flicking buttons. He doesn't know who he's turning on and off, and he's about to mute me, and boom. It's like he's typing on his computer keyboard over here. Um, so I think, you know, we talk about uh, enterprise uh, quality contributions to open source, okay? Um, yeah, how do we achieve that? And most importantly, what changed in this journey over the past 12 months for me? What was the difference? And I think the key difference for me was adopting pair programming. Um, for those that don't know, there may be some listeners that are not familiar with the concept of extreme programming. Um, in what Kent Beck, we just celebrated the anniversary, what Kent Beck talked about as in extreme programming, the principles. Pair programming is the act of two developers sitting together at one machine with uh, two monitors, two mice, two keyboard. And typically, if you're not you know, pairing with me, there's only one driver. I like to type while the other person's typing at the same time. Um, you're, both, you know, you're both thinking about the design, the architecture, the strategic ramifications of what you're doing. So the, the detractors will say, well, doesn't extreme programming lead to just-in-time architecture and design? And the answer to that is you know, unequivocally not. Um, in fact, these things are important and we do them every day. And so Kent talks about boiling things down into small, manageable chunks. Uh, a good example of this is, because I like to give the real-world examples, is we worked on a, a game, the Dojo Snake for the booth. It was an opportunity for people to come and engage with us and modify the game and CF push their apps to hosted VirtuStream uh, environment. Again, you know, we're using uh, and leveraging all of the great work that we've done and you know, we are the first customer for what we're doing. But I acted as sort of the design person. You know, we, we, we pulled a team together, we had a product manager, we had some engineers. We pair, we rotate often, okay? So it leads to shared responsibility and up-leveling the knowledge of everyone on the team. Now, when we talk about boiling things down into MVP, we talked about putting a button on the screen. So we were able to pull the entire team together for a quick seven-minute meeting. It didn't lead to a protracted you know, discussion or argument about what the button was supposed to do. We were simply putting a button on the screen, and we were wiring that button up. And within minutes, we were able to push that code to production 
And I was able to play with the application and say, yes, that met with our requirements and we could accept the story or not. So when you talk about the pair programming and some of the things you're doing, and you talked about your, the, the lean methodologies and the things you're applying, um, and frankly, you talked about a lot of these things in your session a couple yep. of days ago, and it was a, a fairly packed house for, for lunchtime when yeah. everybody wants to go get their, uh, their sandwich on. Um, may, you know, maybe again, if we'd had uh, Unique out there making toast for people, they would have been able to come to the session. So there's a lot of value in this yeah. uh, Internet of Toast thing. Um, but you know, we look at, let's look at the other things you're doing, right? Uh, we frankly could talk to you for hours about yeah. these methodologies and things like that, and there's a reason for you to come back. Um, so you mentioned that you nailed this, um, this VirtuStream thing, and uh, that's looking fantastic, and there's a lot of excitement there. Uh, I'm, I'm very fascinated about the idea of unikernels on VirtuStream. I guess yeah. that's like maybe phase three or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you, you did something else, and this, the Rack HD, which is kind of near and dear to my heart, being hev heavily involved in Converged, um, being the open source version of OnRack, which is a, uh, a critical component of VxRack. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when this Rack HD thing came out, uh, you guys went and looked at that and kind of jumped right on top of it with the open source experience and did something for Cloud Foundry there, and specifically bare metal. Yeah. So tell me more. Yeah, so I think we were we were extremely excited about the the Rack HD announcement, and we wanted to uh, enable you know obviously Cloud Foundry to work on uh, bare metal. So for those that are familiar or unfamiliar with uh, Cloud Foundry, it uses a cloud provider interface to abstract the IaaS layer, and so we focused on building the cloud provider interface for uh, Rack HD. And again, when you think about delivering uh, enterprise-grade uh, quality, right? we focused on uh, test-driven development in building this. So first thing we did was establish a continuous in, yeah, integration pipeline, continuous delivery pipeline, and then we TDD'd the heck out of this thing so that when we finished it, it was done. There was no going back. Spent a month working on this. Enterprise-grade quality, and we put it out there. And, and the proof in this is, the first customers who I can't yet talk about that have, that have adopted it. So first of all, it's open source. It's out there now. Okay, so people can get it, they can grab it, and they can play with it. And if you're thinking of running Cloud Foundry um, on bare metal, then this is definitely you know code you should. So there's a working CPI for yes. bare metal Cloud Foundry based on Rack HD. Yeah, out there right now. And we have customers using it. And you know, again, right? So um, people say to me all the time, "Well, isn't this about delivering?" you know, software that has uh, no bugs. And isn't that what TDD brings to the table? And I say, that's crazy. Software physics are going to be software physics. What defines a great uh, engineering team and a DevOps team is their pace to market. So um, good example of this is the first customer to tuck this um, said, hey, you know, we need a change. We found an issue, uh, an undocumented uh, feature. Uh, we're wondering if you guys can fix this. And we said, sure. We got a description of the problem. Within 30 minutes, we had pushed that fix to open source. Customer took it, put it in their production environment. So this isn't about, you know, yes, TDD is, is phenomenal as a safety net, as a guardrail, right? It's not fair to say that every single line of code is tested, but, you know, pretty much. But what we're enabling is speed of delivery, continuous, continuous delivery. Um, because we want to be able to respond to customer needs rapidly. So, I mean, but getting something out in a month is, is pretty impressive. So, I mean, 
you know, you probably got something out while we've been here talking for well over an hour. Uh, You're actually slowing down our pace of, of innovation. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's awkward. Um, so now you, I'm not going to put you on the this clock. This is because you didn't have any margaritas here. Like yeah. we, we talked about that up front. It's yeah. Don't yeah, make me use disappointed. my mute button. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the other things you guys are knocking out. We have a we have a little bit of time left. Um, I get a lot of complaints from people like Aiden O'Brien who say that uh, when we go long, it makes his workout worse. Because <laughs> um, you know, because he said he was basically swimming to it, and all of a sudden he realized he swam for like an hour and twenty minutes. Oh boy! Instead of somebody's <laughs> somebody's listening to me right now while they're working out. <laughs> yes, that is. So we've actually joked about having workout podcasts. We're thinking about how to implement that. Um, but let's talk about some of the other things you've done, and yeah. then let's uh, send you off to lunch because Brent looks hungry. Okay, great. Well, I think um, I'll, I'll summarize then briefly because I know people want to get through their workouts. Uh, so we've made contributions um, as part of our dojo experience. Uh, for anyone that's familiar, the, um, the dojo concept, you go through a six-week uh, you know, rapid, accelerated um, program to... Um, you know, learn everything, learn the basics of what you need in order to be able to contribute to Open Source Cloud Foundry. But at the end of that six weeks, the learning continues. So as part of our uh, dojo experience in the San Francisco office, and uh, big shout out and thank you to the team there for helping us and giving us a tremendous start. Um, we spent a lot of time working in, in all the different C CPIs. Uh, we spent some time working in Bosch. We've made contributions uh, around UAA. And uh, in fact, this is all obviously open source, so public knowledge. I'd love to uh, share uh, some of the data and contributions that we've made. Um, but we've really had uh, really good exposure across uh, almost all areas um, of the stack. Let's talk about what we have um, coming next. We talked a little bit about uh, persistence. The team in San Francisco is working on uh, uh, Ceph for, for persistence right now. And the team in Cambridge is working on enabling scale uh, persistence with Scale.io. So uh, that's something that we're uh, extremely excited about. Uh, after that, we will likely <coughs> move into working on Isilon for uh, enabling persistence with, with uh, CF. Um, so uh, you know, still early days there. We've gone through an inception um, phase. We've got a, a backlog of work that we're cranking through. And I expect that we'll have something within um, the next uh, sort of two to three weeks. That's awesome. So what else can we um, expect from the dojo as far as uh, when we see something next that's really kind of changing what we're, we're experiencing, what kind of things are you thinking about or planning to think about if you can tell us? Again, we'll buy the sushi. <laughs> well, I think, you know, here's, here's the departure from the old world, right? Um, you know, in, in the old world, you would have, um, you know, a multi-quarter roadmap, right? And, we look at our, our, our roadmap as a prioritized backlog. So um, we think about the next three things. We try to solidify those things and make sure that we have uh, a solid backlog for that work. But beyond that, it, it, it gets kind of gray, right? And so I talked about some of the things. We got scale IO, in flight. Um, we do want to look at you know, how we're going to bring unikernels more um, closely aligned with uh, CF and, and what opportunities there are there. Um, so I think you know, for us, we focus on the top three things, and the priorities change. So it's based on, you know, you know, we, we focus on putting the customer at the heart of everything that we do. So we employ the pull system from lean manufacturing. When a customer says, "Hey, I need X," right? We go, we fall into our process of, you know, interviewing the customer, understanding what their needs are, and then prioritizing, backlogging that, and building it for them. 
All right. Well, good thing I'm not on mute. So we're going to close this thing down. We've been been talking uh, over an hour. So Brian Roche, definitely appreciate your time today. Um, how can we stalk you on on, on the Twitters? So um, you can check out our, I mentioned the, the Dojo Twitter account. You can check me out at uh, Brian Roach, uh, B-O-S, short for Boston. And uh, we're based in Boston. We're based in, in Cambridge. That's where the Dojo is, 145 Broadway. Um, I'd love to give you a Dojo tour. You got, you got to come down. If you're in the Boston area, if you're passing through, you know, delay your connection, come see us. Um, what you get to experience is not only the projects we're working on, but you get to see DevOps in practice every day. You'll get to see our pipeline turn red as we you know, are integrating our code. You get to see it turn green, and you'll, you'll see us push code to production immediately. So come connect with us on uh, the Dojo blog. We'd love to you know, interact with folks. We have a Twitter account um, as What about well. GitHub? GitHub, yeah. Uh, Sydney, what is what is our Git? I can't remember. We'll, we'll figure we'll, we'll figure get, it we'll out. We'll, we'll put too. it in a release yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. But yeah. you know, all these things we've been talking about today, like the uh, uh, unique and everything, uh, is that all there? It's publicly available. Yes. Okay. Yes. There's links to all of that. Yeah. Very very cool. Okay. Cool. Well, Brian Gallagher can't be here to help himself out today and eat it. Uh, Levine, this founder of a really awesome unique product. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited. We learned a lot today. So we certainly appreciate everyone's time. Um, but with that, let's go ahead and shut down this uh, this episode of The Hot Owl. We are here at live at EMC World. This is going to be the final EMC World, is my guess. But uh, who knows what it will look like next year. But hopefully we'll be here. We'll be doing the same thing live. So without further ado, my name is Brent Piotti. My name is Brian Carpenter. And uh, another Brian, thank you very much. That's right. Thank you guys for having me.